Hello and welcome to Following the Rules. This is a podcast about the rules shaping UK and EU financial services and the people responsible for understanding and implementing them. Because in one of the world's most regulated sectors, following the rules isn't always easy. I'm your host, financial journalist Lucy McNulty, and every episode I'll be asking the most influential personalities in financial regulation for their input on the sector's most pressing issues. Oxbow Partners is happy to support this episode of Following the Rules. Oxbow Partners is a management consultancy specialising in the insurance industry. In 2022, we were again named one of the top 10 consultancies in the sector by the Financial Times. We help our clients, who include insurers, reinsurers, regulators and investors, with everything from growth strategy to operations, technology and M&A, not to mention the impact of the increasingly complex regulatory environment on their businesses, such as the current FCA General Insurance Pricing Fairness Rules, about which you'll find lots of commentary on our website, oxpopartners.com. If you're keen to understand the challenges and opportunities coming down the track for your business, please drop us a line. In the meantime, enjoy this podcast. We can't rest on our laurels because we obviously are facing some challenges globally at the moment. We can't assume the investment will always be there. We can't always assume the talent's going to be there. It's not a UK race for talent, it's a global race for talent. When regulators look at these new directives, they must also always take a step back and say, but what does this mean? Is it actually solving a problem? And what problem is it trying to solve? And how is that delivering a better outcome? And that's something that I think everyone should remember all the time, because sometimes we can get a bit lost in the innovation and then forget about the user experience. Today's guest outlines how she believes UK lawmakers and regulators can best retain and grow a competitive fintech hub, both in a tough economic period and the city's new post-Brexit era. She details the achievements of the UK's approach to open banking and offers advice on how to move this initiative forward. These are ideas we should see feed through into action because Charlotte Croswell is not only completing her mandate as the chair and trustee of the open banking implementation entity, but she has also recently been appointed as the chair of the government's new centre for finance innovation and technology. Her 26-year career also includes roles as CEO of lobby group Innovate Finance and president of Exchange Nasdaq. Hi Charlotte, welcome to Following the Rules. Thank you, great to be here. Well, great to have you here, and particularly so soon after your appointment as chair of the government's new Centre for Finance, Innovation and Technology. Congratulations on the new job. Thank you. 2023 is shaping up to be uh, quite an exciting time ahead. And uh, so for those that might not be familiar with it, CFIT is a new private sector-led body focused on promoting financial innovation in the UK by identifying and addressing opportunities and barriers to growth for UK fintech. What are your goals in that new role? Well, it hasn't even launched yet, but the CFIT initiative came out of the Khalifa Review, which was published in February 2021, very much looking at how we help scale financial innovation in the UK and how we really tackle those really challenging issues that can't be done by one industry body, one regulator, one government department, and the coordination of it is what's really needed. So that's what CFIT will be looking to address. But for me, it is very much focused on the outcomes what does financial innovation and fintech really deliver for the man on the street, the consumer and the SMEs to help them get the best out of their financial services life and what's needed to help scale that. But obviously there'll be a lot more information coming next year. Mm -hmm. I don't officially start till January and then we will be looking for CEO and the rest of the team and building out from there. And you've mentioned the Khalifa Review. The Khalifa Review was the then UK government's package of reform suggestions to ensure that the UK retains its competitiveness as a fintech hub post-Brexit. And a key recommendation in that package was the establishment of CFIT. So how will you measure the success in that role? 
it's got to have tangible outcomes. We want to sit there and say, right, what has this done? How has it helped scale UK fintech and narrowing it down? So people can then, in 12 months' time, look back and say, actually, that's what's been delivered. And the partnerships, I think, are incredibly important for CFIT. This is not going to have a huge staff. This is going to be small, lean but mean, startup, providing that coordination, identifying who can deliver on it, identifying whether it's fintechs, whether it's industry bodies, whether it's big financial institutions, whether it's initiatives that are already in place but perhaps need better coordination or amplification. It was estimated 27 industry bodies or hubs around the UK in fintech. And uh, it's incredibly important that we don't just create another one of those. (laughs) This is something that layers on the top and leverages what is already in place today. So we now need to have that coordination across the different bodies to make sure that we actually make that happen. Okay, so you see it coordinating the work across all those bodies and using their skill set and expertise to really drive forward those goals to create a very competitive fintech sector in the UK. Yeah, and it's very much focused on execution as well. This is not about having everyone around the table and all talking about it. It's actually making sure we identify what issue we're trying to solve, who then can help deliver it, and what that coordination role for CFIT is to play that. We always recognise that starting a company in the UK is pretty friendly now, and especially in the fintech sector, we've got a good regulatory environment, we've got some fantastic entrepreneurs, many of which come to the UK to study and never leave and set up a fintech. A lot of people talk about the scaling journey and how can we scale up UK fintech. How do we get it ready to scale both in the UK, but also overseas as well? We don't want so many companies to start, but never get to their full potential because the scaling journey is quite hard. So it is really focusing on those challenging issues while making sure, as I said, it does deliver for consumers and SMEs. In March 2021, while you were still chair of the industry body Innovate Finance, you said then that the regulation in the UK will need to continue to evolve and adapt to take into account that international expansion and M&A activity are inherently part of that scaling process for UK fintechs. They will need to merge with others if they are to grow into competitive businesses. What else needs to be done to enable UK fintechs to scale? Do I believe that we have the potential to scale UK fintech? Yes. If I look back in my tech days back in the late 90s, what we saw is we saw incredible amount of innovation happening and then we did see a period of consolidation where there were some really great companies were born out of that time we haven't necessarily seen that consolidation in uk fintech yet and i think that's because there has been this incredible drive from regulators to support the fintech sector and prove these models and we are obviously seeing some really big success stories in the uk as well and we've accelerated that on the back of covid as well on the back of government support for the sector are we going to see that consolidation coming through is that going to be vertical or is that going to be horizontal and how do we look at the potential of profitability obviously when there's a more challenging investment environment You often do see consolidation coming through on the back of that because people are looking at focusing on profitability. So it will be really interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years ahead. Are we going to see those business models being proven and others come into the sector? What we're all concerned about is that we don't lose that IP and talent away from the UK. There's certain parts of investment that are lacking. A lot of people want to focus on international export, what's needed to be done there. And there's some great initiatives helping those companies scale overseas. Is that something we want to see more of? Back in the late 90s, we were quite late to the party in the UK, in tech. All the innovation was happening in Silicon Valley. That's where they were taking risks. And we didn't really see the UK have that same drive. Fintech, I think, is very, very different. We very much see this as the thought leader globally from the UK. If I take my current role in open banking, that was a term coined by regulators here and now being used for approximately 80 countries around the world. And what an incredible success story that is. It's just a small part of fintech. So I think 
if we can continue to help the sector scale, identify those really challenging issues which are stopping at scale, is that talent? Is that investment? Is it proving the models? Is it regulation? Is it your government sponsorship? And really looking at that, then we shouldn't be losing that IP talent. Yes, it's great to have overseas investment coming into the UK fintech sector. And I think that's something we should all be proud of. But we want to make sure that that doesn't result in those companies necessarily being bought and moving away. For me, it's always a success when you do see a great exit. And there's nothing wrong with obviously successful exits from founders. But it's even better story when we see that that founder perhaps start a new company or invest in other companies across the UK. Because that indicates to us that we've got the right environment to continue to do it. But we can't rest on our laurels because we obviously are facing some challenges globally at the moment. We can't assume the investment will always be there. We can't always assume the talent's going to be there. It's not a UK race for talent, it's a global race for talent. We're up against people who want to hire our talent from the US or from Asia or from Europe, obviously. So how do we become the place that attracts great talent and fosters that environment? At the moment, we are seeing UK fintech often leverage overseas talent with the drive for hybrid working, not so needed now to be coming here. Is that something we want to see and we want to leverage that so that helps us scale UK fintech? Or is that something where we prefer to see those companies employ people in the UK, pay tax in the UK and really make this a success story? And it all becomes this melee of ideas and innovation. We've got to harness that passion for innovation we are seeing from the fintech sector. We've got to focus on how we unleash that so that everybody benefits from it. As I said, talent and investment are key threads of that. And I think we've all identified that those are challenges that need to be overcome. You go and talk to any fintech company, what's the one biggest challenge they have? It's talent. So we're not lacking in ideas and we're not lacking in ambition either. We want to be those people who look to the UK and say that was the fintech that started from the UK. That was a success story and it's still there and it's continuing to grow many, many years later. And we're not necessarily seeing other countries push forward their sector as much, I think, as the UK. And I think that's because we do have industry, government, regulators, large financial institutions, big tech, all coming here to understand this and look at it. And a willingness from consumers and SMEs to be using these products as well. So it's an incredibly exciting time, but we should never just assume that's going to continue to happen. Okay, but UK fintech founders often complain to me that Brexit has added to their cost of doing business in the UK and that regulators are taking too long to authorise personnel or new business lines. And the Khalifa review was put forward in a different economic environment. We're now in a tough economic environment. With that in mind, what should lawmakers do now to ensure that the UK comes out of this period with a competitive fintech hub intact? And is there any aspects of the Khalifa review that needs to be updated, given the change of economic environment? What I said to Ron Khalifa on the day that he published it, 26th February, as the problem is the day you publish it, it's out of date. And Ron, after his nine months of relentless work <laughs> meetings to deliver the uh, Khalifa review, looked at me quite shocked. But uh, that's because you have to continue to update it. Fintech should be doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is delivering on their business and delivering on outcomes. Industry bodies have to be taking that melee of fintech members that they have and trying to work out what needs to be a priority and how do they go to regulators and government. And so it's constantly looking at what else needs to be done. And that is important. Okay. And you also represent UK FinTech on the Department for International Trades, Financial Services and Trade Advisory Group. How will that role work alongside the new CFIT position? It was set up by DIT to have different trade advisory groups across different sectors. So financial services, manufacturing, essential retail. So that when they were engaging in conversations with trade negotiators across the world, they had input coming in 
from various different sectors feeding into that. So that's something I'll have to be focusing whether I can continue to do both or there's a lot to focus on CFIT there and working with the Treasury on that. And when I joined the Trade Advisory Group, and I was the only fintech representative on that, there's lots of fintech representatives on there now, really focusing on those trade discussions and allowing people to understand what fintech can do. So certainly I've had a really enjoyable time here focusing on that international piece, but I think I've probably got enough to do back home at the moment. <laughs> Okay. And you've mentioned the open banking pieces and your appointment as CFIT chair means you'll be stepping down as chair of the open banking implementation entity after a year in the role. What would you like your legacy in that role to be? The whole OBIE, the open banking implementation entity, was created following an order from the CMA in January 2018, working with the CMA9, the nine biggest deposit takers and account providers to provide one single standard that fintechs could then tap into to get the data out for financial institutions and create that competition in retail banking. And that was incredibly important. Complex project. Open banking is the sharing of financial data between the financial institutions, the large ones generally people have had relationships with for many years, through an API out to a fintech supplier that allows them to then share that data in a trusted environment. So that's allowed data to be shared with trusted third parties, so what we call TPPs, third-party providers. But it's also allowed payments to be made bank-to-bank, account-to-account. A lot of people might have paid their tax by open banking. Some people will have paid their court fines by open banking. Some people might have paid off their credit cards using open banking. Obviously, that's taking costs out, as it takes out card processing costs, and ultimately means allowing you to pay for that in a safe environment that then makes things like switching a mortgage, buying a house much easier, because obviously you're taking a lot of friction out of a process that's quite manual. That is incredibly important. Now, I came in originally, which some people will know, to actually chair a transition group. That was last summer. There were some governance challenges at OBIE, which have been trailed quite publicly. So actually, I spent most of my time, you know, when I was appointed as trustee in October last year, really focusing on those governance challenges. And that included putting in a board, bringing in a CEO for the first of a time, putting in general counsel, HR, making incredible changes internally, and getting us ready for what comes next. So that work had to be completed over the course of about six months, looking at that readying for transition. We couldn't take a company that was a effectively set up as a project. We had to actually make sure that obviously it was ready for transition to two new regulators. So that's like any company, governance never stops. You continue to change it, to evolve it and test it, etc. But the large majority of that has now been done. And then it's said it's very much focusing on the transition report. What needs to be sustained in open banking? I can say to CMA confidently, if that happens, open banking is in a great place. So for me, my legacy was to come in, make the governance changes required, get the company ready for transition and making sure that the company is now ready for taking on what comes next. It will be for other regulators then to determine different operating models, different funding models, etc. Because it won't suddenly be the, the CMA9 won't be paying for this long term. This will be a different operating model across industry. Obviously, we are seeing incredible interest from the fintech sector to see an evolution of open banking, to see a strategic roadmap of that. A lot of people talking about open finance and will that follow the same path as open banking or not? And that's something that regulators will consider. But it is incredibly important that we don't lose our head start globally in open banking as well. 
We are all incredibly proud of how much has been done setting that blueprint for other international hubs around the world. So to lead the company and ready for the future state, ready for transition and ready for that future roadmap seems yeah, it seems a good legacy and felt a good time to step away and coincided quite nicely, obviously, with the CFIT appointment as well. For listeners who might not be familiar with it, when you talk about transition, yeah. that means the movement from being something that was driven by the Competition and Markets Authority and involving the nine biggest deposit takers in the UK to something run by different regulators, so the UK Markets Watchdog, the Financial Conduct Authority and the Payment Systems Regulator, which sits under the FCA, and potentially applying to the UK financial services sector in general. Yes, so currently so the regulator is CMA. The new regulators will be the PSR for payments and the FCA, and they are both co-chairs of a joint regulatory oversight committee. And they are there to then drive forward a strategic roadmap for open banking, looking at different funding and operating models. There's a lot of consultation at the moment going through something called a strategic working group, which a huge amount of people across industry are inputting into, of what would people like to see next in open banking and a roadmap beyond a competition remedy. It's not going to be easy for regulators to come through. But we've put some quite considerable governance arrangements in place. And also by the end of the year, I will have submitted my transition report, which is going to be going to the CMA of what's needed to sustain the success of open banking. But obviously that will also expect get passed over to the new regulators as well to make sure that those things are protected and those teams move across into new entity and to sustain it, but also potentially to look at whatever comes next in open banking. What advice or tips do you have for your replacement and do you have any views on who should replace you? (laughs) It's been an incredible honour to serve as the trustee and chair. For someone who's so passionate about fintech and what it can deliver, to actually be looking at this at the coal phase of of the standard setting body that allows new products and services to be born. This has been incredible. So the new trustee, new chair, will be for CMA to appoint. They're going to be running that process over the next few weeks. And in my handover, my advice would be to listen to everybody, (laughs) engage with everybody. There is a very wide engagement of different stakeholders, but also ensure you're listening to those and taking that into consideration. A lot of people have a very small voice. One fintech does not have the time to be writing us lots of policy letters of what could be done and how that could be taken forward. It doesn't mean that their views aren't really important, but we have to engage with those in a very different way to maybe, say, a large bank who has an army of lawyers. And it is important that you try to find not necessarily consensus, because there's very rarely consensus. Somebody's going to have to share the data and someone's going to take advantage of that data. So there's generally not a meeting in the middle, but trying to at least identify the spectrum of the choices of what comes forward. That's the unenviable task the new regulators have had of trying to work that through amongst all of the different wishes and demands from everybody with a new model. Fortunately, by the time I finish, I will have submitted that transition report, which is what has to be monitored throughout the transition period and into the future entity. So I want to very much leave that as the playbook for the new trustee to say, right, follow that, and you can't go too far wrong, because that new trustee won't be really making any decisions. They will be ensuring it's an effective transition, much more similar to a traditional chair role. Obviously, if you're moving to a new entity, you have to oversee that. So that's something that's incredibly important. We do do active monitoring and making sure the banks are conforming to the standards that were set for them. That's something that team does within OBIE and the trustee will still need to be looking at that. That's obviously something that the team looks at and makes recommendations to me if banks aren't performing at the levels they were supposed to. So that's something that will still stay obviously within the trustee's gift as well. But you're very much ensuring that the future entity, whatever it looks like, is able to then 
drive that forward and get ready for whatever comes next. So no comment on who you'd like to see replace you? <laughs> I think coming into it without financial services experience would probably be pretty tough. It definitely helps to see it from all stakeholders. When you work in fintech, it's very rare you only work with fintech founders. You generally work across large financial institutions and fintechs and tech providers. So I think it's more looking at that ability to understand the different views. But we'll see where we are by the end of January. It will probably be more overseeing that transition than having to do a huge amount of decision making. Because that decision has now been taken, obviously, away from the CMA appointed trustee into new regulators. So hopefully they will have a relatively easy time of it. Okay, the EU version of open banking is codified in the second iteration of the Payment Services Directive, or D2. That is now under review and PSD3 is expected soon. What aspects of PSD3 are you watching most closely and why? The implementation of open banking really layered on top of PSD2 in the UK. And I think people would recognise that the UK therefore has done an incredible job of taking PSD2, but then actually putting open banking over the top of it and driving us forward. And that has allowed the UK to take really the global thought leadership role in open banking. But obviously, commissions hoping to build on successes of PSD2 through that broader open finance framework, which a lot of people are now talking about what comes next. And are we looking at an open banking to open finance framework? And that could potentially extend the PSD2 sharing of that data beyond banking, potentially covering investments, insurance and pensions, etc. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that and then which pieces the UK wants to adopt as well and how that's going to affect or interweave with the success we've had in open banking. Are there any aspects of EU reforms that the UK should seek to avoid in your opinion? We have to focus on how is this delivering to SMEs and to consumers. We often talk about what banks do and we often talk about what fintechs do and what's needed. Not enough time we focus on actually what does this actually mean and is this delivering a better financial services experience. We talk about late payments, an incredible issue for SMEs around the world. And larger companies, 40% of their payments can be late. And that can potentially cause things like cash flow issues, etc. We look at the time it's taking on admin and how much time business owners have to spend on their accounts in reconciling those. So when regulators look at these new directives, they must also always take a step back and say, but what does this mean? Is it actually solving a problem? And what problem is it trying to solve? And how is that delivering a better outcome? And that's something that I think everyone should remember all the time, because sometimes we can get a bit lost in the innovation and then forget about the user experience. What do people want? When they make a payment, they want it to be seamless. They want it to happen, and they want to know it's going to reach the other provider. When they share their data, they want to ensure that's being shared with a trusted third party and not going out wildly and not knowing where it ends up. So whatever we do, we must remember that, that we've got to put the framework in place that people can see that as a seamless experience and feel it's safe and feel it's trusted and it's not going to be used against them. Are there any opportunities for regulatory reforms that UK lawmakers have missed, in your view, in their broader package of post-Brexit reforms for the city? (laughs) There's probably a very large Christmas list on everyone's agenda, but everyone talks about regulatory framework. What's our regulatory framework for open banking? What does that look like for open finance? And how is that done? You can go and fight for a bill and you can look at the reforms, but you've got to remember that actually it's got to be implemented and you've got to get consensus of how that's going to be implemented and the interpretation of that. For me, it's more about what are we trying to achieve and then do we have the regulatory framework to be able to supply that rather than just focus on the financial services and markets bill itself. What's the outcome? What regulation can we use and do we need further legislation? Further legislation, it's challenging to bring in and it can take a long time 
back to my point of reviews, that can sometimes be slightly out of date by the time you bring it forward. So having something like what we've done at Open Banking to drive that forward and making sure that actually the interpretation of it is still there and it's driving forward innovation is incredibly important. And what we see in the UK compared to many hubs around the world is that constant sharing, the input into it between regulators and regulated and then saying well actually is this delivering the right outcome for everybody and I think yeah we're quite good at that in the UK so we've got to have the dialogue but we've also got to make sure that actually something happens on the back of it and we've got to make that happen quite quickly Mm -hmm. because ultimately people are facing a very tough 12 to 18 months ahead because of inflation because of cost of living so let's make sure that we really focus on serving them and those most in need. So what you're saying is that it's all well and good having a series of ambitious ideas, but there needs to be a commensurate focus on how those ideas are implemented to ensure that they actually add value at the end point. Uh, It's execution of it, and it's mm -hmm. making sure there's action, because you bring these things in is complex, and it Mm. requires hours and hours of discussions and input, and set often with no consensus in the middle. It's incredibly hard for regulators to then sift through that and say, right, what are we going to do to move that Mm. forward? And it can take, obviously, a lot longer than everyone anticipated. And that causes frustration. It can add cost into it. It can add friction. And certainly from a fintech founder, they obviously want everything to happen immediately because they're ready from the day they've born their idea. And sometimes it can take an incredibly long time to obviously move that forward. But what we've got to be careful of in a challenging, increasing interest rate environment where everybody is affected people with a mortgage are affected because the rate's going up, but renters are affected because guess what? Their landlords are putting the rent up. Maybe people aren't getting those savings accounts and those higher interest rates, but the bills are going up. So we have to really make sure that we are not spending too long discussing it and inputting it. Actually, what we've got to see, as I said, is action and outcomes really quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I'm looking forward to seeing how you put all these ideas into action in the new role. Yeah, as well, it's been an absolute pleasure working across the open banking ecosystem and I think actually has laid the groundwork for what I'm going to be doing next. But I'll be focusing on action, as you can probably tell, and see if we can get some outcomes quickly for you. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Following the Rules with Lucy McNulty. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on all the usual channels. It helps other people get to know us too.